MailChimp presents. As a marketer, you're speaking to a vast audience. Some people need to be converted into customers, some need to be reunited with their carts, and others have just made a purchase. But when you fail to segment your audience and personalize your messaging, you can get what's called a customer. One big cluster of customers who may seem alike, but actually all have different behaviors. So how do you turn those customers back into customers? With Intuit MailChimp, you can use personalization tools that segment customers into groups, break them up into like-minded target audiences, and send them personalized marketing. Intuit MailChimp, the number one email marketing and automations brand. Based on competitor brands' publicly available data on worldwide numbers of customers in 2021 and 2022. Availability of features and functionality vary by plan, which are subject to change. What's interesting to me, at least, is that I think I would have been a good parent and I think I could have enjoyed life as a parent and I also enjoy life as a non-parent. And I am comfortable with the idea that I made a choice and that I like my life as it is and that I can't have it all. And no one can. I did not grow up with a concept of a child-free adult. In fact, I didn't meet a person who openly said they didn't want to have children until I was 15. At the time, the idea seemed silly or wrong to me, like the adult was getting out of some sacred responsibility we all had to reproduce. Still, the thought lingered in my mind. What did a child-free life even look like? And who were these people who chose that for themselves? Dr. Amy Blackstone was 10 steps ahead of my questions. She's a professor of sociology at the University of Maine, whose book, Child Free by Choice, examines the experience of adults who forgo parenthood. Through social scientific research and in-depth interviews, Amy's work also unpacks the role that gender, race, sexual orientation, and societal circumstance plays in these decisions. But Amy's expertise is both professional and personal. She and her husband are child-free themselves. And with all her research and study and experience, I wanted to know, once you make the choice not to have kids, how does it feel to live with it? I'm Ashley C. Ford, and this is Going Through It, a show about important moments in people's lives and how they navigate them. This season, we're asking how people decide whether or not to become parents. In this episode, I'm talking with Dr. Amy Blackstone about the choice to be child-free. Did you have any examples of child-free adults in your life when you were a kid? I did not. And to be honest with you, I assumed for all of my early life that I would become a parent one day. Mm -hmm. And I think there's no other reason for that than particularly for folks my age and older, I'm 50, 
that's what we're taught. I mean, <laughs> we're taught from the moment that we're born that it is our destiny as people who are born and biologically assigned female and then told that therefore we are women, that we are also one day to become mothers. And and we are gifted baby dolls when we're kids and then gifted the toy kitchens <laughs> to learn how to serve yep. meals to our families. So those messages start very early and are given to us, you know, for our whole entire lives. So I assumed I would become a mom. When did you realize being child-free was an option? I didn't, honestly, until I became an adult myself. It wasn't until my 20s and after I was married. So I married and I'm still married to my high school sweetheart. So I think you think of people who marry very young as likely to start having and rearing kids young too. And I think that's what others expected of us as well. And again, what we expected of ourselves. And right away, my husband Lance and I began getting the questions, when are you going to have kids? And my answer always was, we're too young. We want to establish ourselves. And it wasn't until that time in my life that it did start to dawn on me, oh, there's a way to be in the world as an independent person and maybe not have kids. When you and your husband were dating and early in your marriage, what conversations did you have about children, if any? So we did have conversations about children. And it wasn't even that we wanted them, but that we would have them and that it would be later. Right. And it didn't take very long for me to have this light bulb moment that, like, maybe we don't have to have them. So I raised that idea to Lance very, very early in our marriage. Mm -hmm. His response was, oh, thank God. I had never wanted to have kids. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've known this man since I was 15 years old, and he had never shared that with me. Wow. When I told him I was thinking maybe I didn't want kids, I thought he would be disappointed and sad. But then he said... I'm pretty sure that you're going to change your mind someday. Women usually start craving them in their late 20s, you know, when they're in their sexual peak. And he was a biology major in college, so he thought he knew that our maternal <laughs> instinct kicks in. And, you know, I had been taught the same thing culturally. So we both believed that at some point birds would chirp and magic would turn on and I would wake up wanting children one day, and we would discuss it then. So it became sort of like an annual thing, like, you want kids yet? Nope, nope, cool, cool. <laughs> I learned later that the whole time Lance is just like on the edge of his seat, just terrified that one of these years Amy's going to say, yep, I'm ready. As the years went on, I became less and less convinced that that was a thing. I wasn't sure, but I'm like, this is not happening for me. I'm not feeling the magic. I still don't want them. I feel like I've dealt with something really similar because I totally believe that one day I would just wake up and my body would be sending off alarms and my heart would be on fire for babies and nothing else would make sense except for me to have a baby. And that's how I would know. I would just be 100% sure. That obviously hasn't happened for me. Um, and it didn't happen for you either. So tell me about how you got to the point of reckoning with whether or not you wanted to have kids. And also how that prompted you to start researching how other people made the choice to be child-free. Okay, so 
I was 22 and he was 23 when we got married. And then we hit our mid-30s. And within the course of about a month, three friends of mine share with me that they're pregnant, happily and intentionally. And I'm happy for them. I learned from one of my friends that she's just been told by her doctor, she's also 35, that her pregnancy is a geriatric pregnancy. (sighs) So it dawns on me that probably the response I've been giving people for the last 15 years of my life that I'm too young to have kids may no longer apply. (laughs) It's both that moment and the realization that, oh my God, my friends are making this move and they're talking about this pull toward motherhood that they suddenly are feeling. And what the hell is wrong with me? Mm. Why am I not feeling this pull toward motherhood that so many of my friends are describing? Among those three friends was a friend who was with me on on the path of not having kids. Everyone has the right to to change their mind at some point. That's, of course. That's cool. But that one was especially shook me because I thought, wow, you know, I'm broken. If she hadn't been feeling that pull and suddenly she did, clearly there's something, you know, biologically messed up in me. That was a real moment for me personally. And I was also at a very particular stage in my career. I had just submitted my portfolio for consideration for tenure. And With tenure comes a hell of a lot of job security that, frankly, everybody deserves and should get. And I knew that I would soon be one of those rare few. And the freedom that tenure provides is a freedom as a researcher to really kind of study anything I want to study. So I thought, here's this thing that I'm grappling with personally. I did go to the sociological literature on women without children as I started having questions about what's wrong with me to try to find an answer Mm -hmm. and was surprised that there wasn't more research. This was in 2008. So I saw this opportunity professionally to kind of dive into that. And Mm -hmm. I had all these personal questions. Are there other people like me out there? What's wrong with them? (laughs) (laughs) What's wrong with us? Yes, yes. It's so cool to me that you could use your professional experience to answer this deeply personal question. How did that make you feel, though? Like, I mean, as you're doing this research and going through this process of, you know, your own feelings around your personal life, what is the mix of those two things happening at the same time doing to you? I mean, on the one hand, it was extraordinarily validating to be interviewing all of these people who had made the same choice that I had. So that was wonderful. It also, I think I became more aware of the stigma attached to being a non-parent and specifically of opting out of parenthood than I ever had been because I learned from people about some of the pushback that they had received for their choice that I didn't experience in my own life. I spoke with people who had been disowned by their families. What? Yeah, yeah. And then other people who had been told by families that they wouldn't be included in a will. And hearing all kinds of stories like that from people became difficult, and some of them were really heartbreaking. Right. And it helped me understand I don't know if you've come across this as you're making your decision, but there are folks in the child-free community who are really angry 
and can be, I think, sometimes inappropriately overly defensive and lash out. It's a self-protective thing. And doing these interviews helped me understand that. I suppose if I told someone the just fact about me that I wasn't a parent, that they took that personally, they felt um, the need to lecture or malign my decision to me, it is a wild thing to do. And I think that I might start to behave as if the world was just waiting to be wild <laughs> to me right. and I had to be ready to defend myself. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, has it ever occurred to you to think when you find out that someone has kids that that their choice to have children had anything to do with your choice not to? None. <laughs> Never. Of course not. Not a day in my life. <laughs> But on the other end, I'm guessing that there are some other aha moments, like some things that you either learn or come in contact with or experience that you're like, oh, yeah, this is kind of the beauty mm. of this decision or this, this is what is available on yeah. the other end of this decision. Yes. One of the surprises to me in doing these interviews was to learn how many of the folks I interviewed are deeply invested and involved in the lives of children. Many of them are caretakers for nieces and nephews or are volunteers for organizations like Big Brothers Big Sisters, um, have friends who have kids and regularly you know, play a role as aunties or uncles to those kids. And they told me that they were able to do that because they didn't have children of their own and that that was part of their choice, that they knew that they wouldn't be able to do that for these kids if they'd chosen to have kids of their own. That was pretty cool. I used to be a nanny and I still have a really good long relationship with the kids who I used to nanny. I'm the oldest of four kids. You know, I like kids. A lot of my friends have kids. I'm Miss Ashley or I'm Aunt Ashley. And it's so fun. And I love being involved in the lives of children. And I feel like there are so many people around me who look at that and think that I'm, I'm sort of just practicing mm, to yes. parent my own kids. Or I'm just sort of like getting what I can now because of what I can't have at home. And there's this, this praising in me. They call it like a maternal instinct. You have such a like a love for children. And I know that I do have that. But I don't necessarily think of that as a maternal instinct. Tell me about what you've learned about the concept of the maternal instinct over the course of your study. What I learned when I started doing this research, much to my surprise and relief, was that the idea that we as women have some kind of natural inclination to become mothers is mm -hmm. total bullshit. <laughs> uh, sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. Tell me more. Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> um, we do have, just like men, a natural drive to have sex. And sometimes the result is the propagation of the species, but it is not a maternal instinct that does that. It's the sex drive that does that. That was such a relief to discover 
mm-hmm. that scientists have not discovered a thing called maternal instinct. That was one of the motivations for writing my book and wanting to do it in a language that I hope would be readable and interesting to folks that weren't just my fellow sociologists. Because I wish that more people knew that maternal instinct doesn't exist. It's a myth we tell ourselves, frankly, to keep women in their place. Can you tell me the difference, and I know there is a difference, between this mythical maternal instinct of like something that just kicks in out of nowhere one day where all of a sudden we must, as women, want to have a baby, and the hormonal thing that kicks in when we are actually pregnant or have our baby and feel that need to protect our offspring? I'm glad you asked because I think that the idea of a maternal instinct often gets confused with the nurturing instinct that that, that people talk about. And research has found that there is a hormone called oxytocin that kicks in once women become pregnant and after they give birth. It's sometimes called the love hormone, so it's not limited to just women who are giving birth or becoming pregnant. So once a woman becomes pregnant, she gives birth. Sometimes when she's breastfeeding, oxytocin levels rise, and oxytocin is the thing that drives one to nurture. So again, It's the sex drive that is driving us to have sex and that results in a pregnancy sometimes, depending on who you're having sex with. But that is very different from the drive to nurture someone and to do it for 18 to 25 years. We'll be right back. On Going Through It, Our guests talk about the passions and decisions that impact them most. You can find similar stories on MailChimp's Bloom Season, a digital resource offering actionable insights for small business success. Throughout these episodes, I'll be introducing you to a few of the entrepreneurs featured in Bloom Season. When I tell you we went through so many different names. You want to be like very avant-garde, show how smart you are and how well-read you are. At the end of the day, our mission was to get good books into folks' hands. Meet Katie Mitchell. My name is Katie Mitchell. I am in business with my mother, Catherine, and together we run Good Books. As the title suggests, Good Books is all about books. The Atlanta-based pair established the online store in 2019. Their vision for the business was so aligned that they were up and running in a matter of 30 days after the initial idea was birthed. Good Book started at my mom's kitchen table. We were having breakfast, and I was telling her about how my friends were so amazed by the bookshelf in my apartment and the books that were on it. And I saw that there were people who didn't have access or didn't have the knowledge to go out and get those books. And then she said, what if we started a bookstore? Catherine instilled a love and appreciation for Black books in Katie and her brother from their childhood. She had books in the house from day one, and the majority of those books were by Black authors. We never thought that we weren't represented in books because they were all around our house. And our mom just made sure that we saw ourselves and people that looked like our family members in books. 
Katie was encouraged to read classic Black titles with difficult but important themes from an early age, like Toni Morrison's The Bluest Eye. I look back and I think about when my mom like made me read The Bluest Eye when I was in elementary school, and all my friends were not reading books like that. Katie's mom's recommendations have developed into a central part of their business now, curating books for their customers. So with our custom curations, it was like, hey, I'm interested in reading, but I have no idea what books are available by Black authors on those topics. And so it started at the individual level. And then we also do similar curations for institutions, whether it's universities or museums, to grow their collections. Being based in Atlanta is also central to Good Book's mission, which is why they host events to bring book lovers together in person. We have a dinner book club vibe that we do where people can like commune and also get a good book. For Katie and Catherine, starting a small business was simply an extension of their family's passion to bring a love of literature and representation to their community. When people think about good books, I would love for them to feel welcomed. How we're taught about books and reading, it's very formal, it's a little stuffy. It feels like a chore. When you're reading things that make you feel seen, it's the best thing. So I want people to know that good books is the place to get books where they can feel seen. Learn more about Katie Mitchell and other entrepreneurs at MailChimp.com slash Bloom Season. And now, back to the episode. So let's go back to your personal experience. After you've done all this research and really decided that you do not want to have kids— What does your life with your husband look like now that you've settled into it and you're no longer doing those yearly check-ins? So it has changed. We had that moment in our Mm mid-30s where I realized, okay, I'm not too young anymore and we're definitely not doing this. And at that point, I was still young enough that people still asked me when I was going to have kids still young enough that I could be in public and accidentally smile at a child and someone would say, oh, do you have kids? I hated that. So I got to a point in my life where I just, I wouldn't make eye contact with children, which is terrible. You know, like the cute kid toddles up to you at the coffee shop and waves and I would be like, I'm not looking at you. I'm not looking at you. And so that was my 30s. And there's a freedom in being an old lady, now 50. You know, once you pass 40, people stop asking when you're going to have kids. I'm now experiencing perimenopause, and there's great freedom in the realization that, yeah, I I both look too old and I am too old. And suddenly, like, the world has opened up to me and I can smile at babies in coffee shops. The older I get, the more solid I feel about my choice and the more open I feel to everyone's choice. You know, I meditate a lot and I like to meditate on what ifs, like, what would my life look like like this or that? And I didn't do that with parenthood until I became older. And what's interesting to me, at least, is that I think I would have been a good parent or at least Mm -hmm. an okay parent. And 
I think I could have enjoyed life as a parent and I also enjoy life as a non-parent and I'm completely okay and happy with my life as it is and I am comfortable with the idea that I made a choice and that I like my life as it is and that I can't have it all and right. no one can. I guess where I'm landing and who knows I'll probably land in a different place in another 10 years but where I'm <laughs> at right now is yeah this feels right and good in my soul and I'm I'm happy in this moment. Oh, and I do mentor a group of high school girls, which I absolutely love doing. Those are the things that I get joy from. And I don't spend a lot of time really thinking about my child-free choice anymore these days. Mm -hmm. I, I get joy from the life that I have, and I'm grateful for it. Have there been any moments in your life since the decision that have like really reaffirmed it for you? Any moments that you've just been like, boy, did I make the right choice? <laughs> yes. And I put those moments into different categories. I've had a lot of moments that I would call sort of micro moments, almost petty moments, like a baby crying throughout an entire flight. And oh. I think, thank God that that's <laughs> not me. Or moments where, you know, Lance and I will decide at the last second that we want to take a weekend away. And we can yeah. because we don't have anyone else that we're responsible for. So that's very small. I also have moments that putting on my sociologist hat, I call structural moments where, you know, the world is not designed, frankly, for parents. Let me just say outright, I don't think I should get to benefit as a child-free person, but I do. Things like not having to put my career on hold because I don't have kids. I don't have to worry about paying an overpriced college tuition for anybody. Listen, <laughs> that alone, please continue. Well, the price of daycare, what neighborhood I'm living in and whether the schools are decent, um, whether there's going to be a, a sustainable climate for my kids in 30 years. I mean, all of these are things that I think we should all care about. They are burdens that should not be placed on parents alone. They are burdens right. that we share. At the same time that I recognize that these are things that happen because of the way our society is structured, I recognize that I have benefited. And I cannot say that I am not thinking about all of those things as I consider what to do moving forward. Honestly, it's just good to know that these are normal things to be considering when you're making the decision. What a joy and a privilege to be able to make the decision about whether or not to have a child. It's a burden <laughs> also, right? but how lucky are we that we live in a time and a place that you get to be in the position to make that decision for yourself. It's true. I often feel so lucky to have found myself in a position where I get to decide if and how I take on the role of parenting. Even when I'm anxious about the consequences of moving toward or away from becoming a mother, I'm still so grateful that no one can tell me I have to. After talking with Amy, I'm convinced, more than I've ever been before, that the freedom of having choices is worth the wait of making them.
Going Through It is a production of Pineapple Street Studios and MailChimp. Our producer is Emerald O'Brien. Our associate producers are Marina Hankey and Yinka Rickford Anguin. Our managing producer is Camila Kashani. The show is edited by Aaron Edwards. Mixing by Davy Sumner. Original music by Mike Noyce and Davy Sumner with additional music from Epidemic Sound. Mara Davis is our booker. We had help from Stephen Key, Jason Richards, and Ari Saperstein. Legal services for Pineapple Street by Bianca Grimshaw at Granderson Desrochers. Our executive producer is J.N. Barry. Our production partners at MailChimp Studios are Julie Douglas, Sasha Brown, Christina Humphrey, and Caroline Albro. And a special thanks to my better half, without whom none of this would be possible. My assistant, Ariane Young. And thank you for listening. We know the range of experiences around this decision is so broad. And while we can't cover every story, we're grateful that we could bring you a few of them. Some things leave you guessing, like, why are there five syllables in the word monosyllabic? But you know who doesn't leave you guessing? MailChimp. MailChimp analyzes data from billions of emails to offer up personalized recommendations for how to improve things like your email content and audience targeting. Guess less and sell more with the number one email marketing and automation brand, Intuit MailChimp based on competitor brands' publicly available data on worldwide numbers of customers in 2021 and 2022.